Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our Father. We are your children. We thank you also that we are your church. We are your people together. We pray that you would teach us a little bit more today about what it is to be truly centered around you. And we thank you for the grace that you have for us every day to make this possible. Through Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you've ever noticed, and I know many of you must have noticed today, how wrapped up parents can be in their kids. It can be so beautiful to see. Maybe you're walking around a supermarket or something and you see a mum and toddler and the child is in a good mood, happy and smiling, not trying to pull cans of beans off the shelf. And the mother looks up at you and just beams. Everything about her is happy. And you have a quick conversation and of course it's about the toddler, all about the baby, her child. Everything in her is focused on that child. And it is a lovely thing. Or perhaps you know a couple who are deeply in love. Watch them when they're alone together, totally focused on each other, on each other's needs. It can be a wonderful thing, a good relationship. Or maybe you know somebody who's got a job that they absolutely love, that they are centered on, and that they talk about all the time. That can also be a great thing. Good things like this can show us a little reflection of how we can center on God, of how God is centered on us. This is actually today the last of our series um, that we've been, we've been going through Justin Welby's book, um, Dethroning Mammon, and today is the last one. Now, mammon is one of those rather complex concepts, often equated with money, which is why I put a pound sign on this on this throne-looking chair here. But it's much more than just money, as we know. Mammon is everything that draws us away from God. It could be a child. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. These things are all really great, but if they draw us away from God, they are on the throne, in his place. But we all know that picture, idealized picture of the mother and baby is not what it's always like. I mean, just five minutes ago, that child could have been trying to pick pan or chocolate out of the, out of the bakery section and, and just going crazy. You don't know. Life is not perfect. Relationships are not perfect. And we all know that jobs are not perfect. But sometimes people can concentrate so much on these things that it's almost like they're worshipping them. Sometimes that couple might become so insular that they dump all the rest of their friends, and that is never healthy. Sometimes a good job can consume us so much, and many of us know about this, that we don't have energy for anything else, let alone searching after God. Now, just back to our big pound sign for a bit. Money in itself isn't a bad thing, of course. 
Jesus talks lots about money, and he is not negative about it. But sometimes in the church, we find a tendency, don't we, to treat money like a taboo subject, like it's a naughty thing to talk about, not spiritual. But no, that's ridiculous. Everything is spiritual. There is no division between things that are spiritual and things that aren't. For instance, thinking that certain jobs are more spiritual than others is ridiculous. When you think about it, that's like saying that the Holy Spirit is not in the city of London, is not in factories, is not in any shops, any transport, anything like that. But jobs in Christian organizations are super saturated with spirituality and holiness. Yeah, anybody who's ever worked in a church is now laughing. (laughs) So, yeah, we know that that's not true. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And there is nothing wrong with money. In fact, it is a wonderful gift from God. And because Jesus talks about it a lot, that is good enough for me. But mammon is something else. It's anything that takes us away from God, that divides our loyalty to God, anything. And there'll be something for all of us. There'll be many things for all of us. Now, if we think about the people of Laodicea, they thought they were pretty great. And they were, outwardly anyway. They lived in a really well-off, cosmopolitan and safe city, a place of trade. But the writer of Revelation doesn't have anything good to say about them. He's pretty insulting, actually. He's pretty rude. He's very specifically rude to them. He says, you make me sick, you're blind, you're naked, and you're homeless. And I'm sure many of you will know that there are very specific reasons for all of these things. Because Laodicea was a city that produced a lot of things, and it was well known for a lot of things. But, um, the, the, thing, the thing about um, being neither hot or cold I'd like to throw up is great, isn't it? The New Testament is always very, often very crude, and we don't realize because it's been translated. But the words that are used there are, are not polite words. Um, their city was really unusual because it didn't have its own water supply. So it had to take water from two nearby cities. One of them that had sort of warm water that was quite healing in some of its properties. And one of them had very cold, refreshing water. And they came together and they made lukewarm, slightly mineral-tasting, kind of yucky water. So they would have known what the writer was talking about pretty gross to have to drink that. But um, that, that thing, you're neither hot or cold, so I won't spit you out of my mouth, is often used to, to say to people, well, if you're not totally spiritually on fire all of the time, Jesus isn't interested in you. Do you really believe that's what God is saying? That if you're not totally spiritually on fire, he's not interested? Well, I certainly don't. Um, God is interested in us as we are now. Um, Lukewarm, whatever, he will take you. So um, that that on-fire thing is a great thing that sometimes happens. But if, if you read this and it makes you feel guilty, do not let it. That was for the people of Laodicea. They would have understood it better than we do. So there was the... 
neither hot nor cold, I'm going to throw you up. And you're blind and naked. So in Laodicea, they made special eye salve, and they were really super famous for doing that. And apparently, it, it really worked. And he was saying, you think you're so great at this, but actually, you're totally blind. And also, they were famous for making beautiful clothes for, for kings and probably Caesar. I don't know. I just made that up. Um, and he says, you're, you're basically naked. You think you're amazing and the most fashionable people in the known world, but you are naked. You are relying on all of these things instead of me. And you do get the impression from this passage that, that Jesus is angry. Um, we've got a really tricky verse in verse 19, and it's slightly off, off the, um, the, my track here. But I have to say something about it, because I've often wondered about this. It says that God disciplines the people that he loves. And this reminds me of that Far Side cartoon of God as a big guy in the sky with a white beard sitting in front of his computer, and on the computer screen is a picture of a guy who's just walking along down the pavement, and above him is a big grand piano that's suspended above his head. And God's finger is suspended above a big button on his keyboard that says, smite. To smite or not to smite. So God is some nasty old guy in the sky deciding whether or not he's going to squash you with a piano. Again, no. I do not believe this is what it's all about. God is not a mean old man. But God has put us in a world that has cause and effect. If we do stuff, stuff will happen. And um, I, have, I have a very current example of this in my life because um, Will's away for the weekend. And um, when Will's away, I sometimes go for a Chinese takeout. And... Um, I really crave some of the worst Chinese food in the absolute world, which is crispy chili beef, which is basically fat, sugar, and salt. And maybe it was meat at some point. I don't know. But um, you need to get it so it's, it's fried so hard, it literally crunches in your hand. It's so gross, but I love it. And I, I ate a whole portion of it last night. And my goodness, I felt so sick when I woke up this morning. <laughs> And I've been drinking so much water. I've really, really, there's so much MSG in it. So cause and effect. When you do something dumb, something will happen to you. And, okay, that, that's not a brilliant example because a lot of things are happening in the world and they're not our fault. But people somewhere have made decisions. So we look around and we look at our attitude to the environment and the things that we buy and the things that we eat and wear. And all of these decisions that we make are going to be affecting people all over the world. Um, cause and effect is part of the universe, the God-created universe. And we, as well as these people in Laodicea, have a lot to learn about the reality of life. They are being told they're centered on the wrong things. They are centered on things that have led them away from God. They're centered on mammon. But if we take mammon away, what can we put there instead? What would make everything okay? Um, I heard yesterday, or no, on Friday, 
One of my friends was telling me about this concept of universal basic income. So the idea that everybody is paid the same wage, independent of whether they're working or not, and you can, if you want, work more and make more money, but everybody's got enough without even needing to do anything. It's a great idea. I wonder why nobody's ever done it. I know there are some people here who are very financially minded. I'm sure you could have some good ideas about why it's not been done. History is littered with idealistic attempts to make life better without God, to center ourselves on humanity even. And perhaps there is something of good in a system which enables a living wage for everybody, independent of who they are and what they're doing. But this in itself wouldn't be enough to center ourselves or our world around. We've got an empty throne that needs to be filled. And of course, we as Christians believe that this throne needs to be filled with God. And of course, that, that symbol isn't just an impersonal, impersonal symbol. But the symbol itself represents relationship. God is relationship. We don't believe in a system... What have I done? I need to be able to do this. The whole point of one of these things. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. God is relationship. We don't believe in, in a system or a set of rules, do, do we? We don't. We believe in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, a person. He said, if you want the truth, look at me. His very person is what we're centered around. And, of course, if we're centered around Christ, we are also centered around God the Father and the Holy Spirit, because God is relationship. So, I wonder if anybody has given up anything for Lent. I don't need you to tell me. Um, I have to admit to you that I, I have, but I've told almost everybody that I've met, you're not really meant to do that. It's totally beside the point. Um, but yeah, it makes me feel good. Um, I wonder what you think about this process of emptying yourselves of the things that detract from God. Many people say they prefer to do something new during Lent, and that's okay too. But there's something really special about giving something up, especially something you like. When you want the thing, you're reminded of why you're giving it up, and you're reminded constantly if it's something you like a lot. Giving something up also puts a very different perspective on the world. So, for instance, on Friday, um, I was walking through London, totally sober at 9.30 at, at night, surrounded by drunk people. And it was, it was a really interesting thing, different perspective on the world. And it was very enjoyable, actually. Um, so, and yeah, I have told everybody that I'm not drinking for Lent, but um, I'm looking forward to it not being the case anymore. Um, but... This process of emptying is not just about giving up something random for Lent. It is something totally Christ-like. It's this process of self-emptying is called kenosis in Greek. Self-emptying. 
Christ did this when he came to earth. He emptied himself of everything but love. And of course, love is everything because love is God. What a great example. How on earth do we center ourselves on Christ? It's all very well, isn't it? In, we've got a few clues in our passage. One is quite confusing, actually, because you know Jesus has, Jesus has just told people in this passage, put, told the people of Laodicea that they are totally broke. They don't have anything. And then he says, come and buy gold from me so you can be rich. With what? What am I going to buy gold with? I'm broke. Well, possibly the people who read this and who heard this would have realized that the only way they could pay for gold if they didn't have money was to sell themselves into slavery. Because people did that quite a lot. So maybe we're being asked to sell everything that we have, sell ourselves to God. Be, we just sang, we're no longer slaves to sin. But we can be slaves to God instead. We sell ourselves totally as his slaves. And he is a good master with a yoke that is light and easy. And we have to let him in. We have to do something. There's some kind of action required. Remember that picture that Holman Hunt painted of the light of the world with the very tired-looking Christ knocking on the door that's got no handle It has to be opened from the inside. And actually, this is an opening that we need to do really quite often. We need to keep opening it. And sometimes, we don't feel like inviting God into our lives, do we? But this is something we have to do. It's something we have to keep doing. I wonder, what would a church look like if it was totally centered on Christ? Now, as a church here at St. Stephen's, as our community, we have some church family vision and values targets. And they're all good things. They're all really good things. I'll just stay here for the moment. Um, so they are that we need to be hospitable to God, to each other, to our community, thank you, that's very hospitable. <laughs> and welcoming and real, that's another thing that we pride ourselves on being. Um, so we need to be hospitable to God, to each other, to our community. We need to be welcoming. We need to create spaces of welcoming all through the community. We need to be a place where families feel welcome and where families of all shapes and sizes feel welcome. We need to be a place that is willing to change and willing to change even our service structures if that's what we need to do. We need to be a place that is looking to be good stewards of the stuff that we have, our buildings and and things like that. That's just part of what we have decided a church which is centered on Jesus actually looks like. I I wonder what you think. I wonder what... That, what a difference that would make in our town, in the world, if all church was, were truly centered on Christ. Because this is about a whole church, not just an individual thing. 
We are, of course, our church made up of individuals and we're all different and that is so wonderful. But we are an organization, a community together. And it, it, it's difficult, it's not easy to do this because there are so many things that are bringing us away from God. And these things can be good. These things in themselves can be fantastic. They can be relationships, they can be children, they can be jobs. And it's difficult not to get infected by the spirit of the age that is around us. Like Laodicea was infected by the spirit around it of self-centeredness and, and content without thinking about anybody else. We need to keep asking God to change us. We need to keep praying this. And right at the end, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer and maybe ask you to pray it after me. And I've got to say, this is really dangerous. If you really ask God to give you an undivided heart, to show you himself, to be real, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I can, I can say this from personal experience. I asked that God, I, I must have been during A-levels, so I'd, I'd come back to Britain after being a missionary's kid, surrounded by people who were all Christians, and um, I went back to a small town in the northwest of England, and it, I found it very, very difficult. I didn't like church very much. It didn't feel very real to me. And I realized that what I thought was my faith back in Thailand, where I grew up, was not really mine. It was possibly my parents. And I said to God, I need this to be mine if it's real. Do anything you need to in order to make it real. Dumb. <laughs> Dumb prayer. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. You know what? I have to say there were years of desert living for me after that. Um, searching after God in places that were maybe not so great. And not finding it. Not finding anything real. But eventually, I was sitting in Coventry Cathedral on my own and realized that actually, yes, this is real. And it had probably taken eight years but I kept praying that prayer. And it was made possible because, because of that Jesus who rode into Jerusalem, knowing what was going to be happening. Because of that saviour that we have, who knows us completely and accepts us, even if we're lukewarm. So I invite you to pray this prayer. I'm going to read it the whole thing out, and then um, I'll read it just in bits. And if you would like to pray out loud or quietly, um, do so. So this is how it goes. O oh God, grant me an undivided heart to love and serve you today with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. Open my eyes to see you and serve you in the ordinary events of this day. May love radiate through me. Amen. So... Let's pray this together, if you would like. I'll say part of it, a bit like in the wedding ceremony. And then, if you would like to, to um, echo me. O oh God, grant me an undivided heart. To love and serve you today. 
With all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. Open my eyes to see you. And serve you in the ordinary events of this day. In the ordinary events of this day. May your love radiate through me. Amen. Amen. Amen.